bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this day and simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be of you from you, and pleasing to you. Amen. So I'm going to tell you a story about what me and the two friends who went on this trip, trip collectively call the trip from heck. Of course, we use a different word, but there are children in the room, so. It was the end of 2020. It was actually, I think it, it will be like three years next week. I had been working in Woodward 
at the then First United Methodist Church as their youth pastor for about two and a half, three years at this point. And of course, with COVID, as, as this church probably experienced, there was the shutdown, everything moving to virtual, and an entirely new way of doing ministry and of doing life. And to say I didn't like it would be an understatement. <laughs> I, I worked with teenagers and preteens, and getting teenagers to sit on a Zoom screen for 30 minutes to an hour each week trying to teach a youth lesson is, well, impossible. And so I tried to brainstorm and find different ways to do youth ministry over that year of 2020. Well, by the end of that year, I was burnt out. I was at the last inch of my fuse. I was ready to call it quits, say, I'm done. This is not what I signed up for. This is not why I got into ministry in the church. This is not what I want to do. I'm done. Well, first week of November, and I had figured since it was COVID, I had this set of friends, mutual friends, that were getting married um, in California. On a, in a suburb of Los Angeles, uh, about an hour northeast of, Law, uh, of L.A. Now, I had figured, since COVID had happened, that they were going to postpone or cancel their wedding because they had it in this beautiful inside venue, this beautiful, magnificent church. I mean, it was going to be wonderful, the pictures that they had sent us. They said, no, we're going to get married, but we're going to change it. We're going to change how we're doing it. We're going to have an outdoors wedding. We're going to be socially distanced, and we're cutting back our guests to only those that we actually want, not those who our in-laws said we had to invite. <laughs> so the wedding, uh, the wedding party or the, the, the guests thinned from about 300 of what it was supposed to, to about 30. There were about 30 or 35 of us. Well, it was that first week in November and I called to confirm, hey, your wedding's still on, right? Yep. And me and Lacey and Zach, we're still invited to come. Yeah, we want you there. Okay, I uh, do want you to know that we're not going to fly. Well, why not? Because COVID, I'm not getting on an airplane with complete and utter strangers in the middle of this. I'm not doing it. And they said, okay. And so me, Lacey and Zach, Lacey and Zach are now married. Um, they live in Florida now, but they lived in Stillwater. They were friends of mine from college. Um, decided to carpool us three together out to Los Angeles for this wedding. Now, I was at home because of Thanksgiving in, uh, in Weatherford. Coincidentally, my folks live just 20 minutes south of Weatherford on a farm. Yeah. So it's weird being back in Weatherford now. But they swing down and they pick me up and we start hitting the road driving on I-40 out to California. And that's about a day drive. Um, I don't know if any of you have taken that trip. It's about a day drive. And it's pretty beautiful for the first bit. And then you hit western Arizona and southern California and there is nothing um, only done ministry in western and northwest Oklahoma, and I always thought I lived in the middle of nowhere, and then I traveled through western Arizona. But we hit the road, and we're driving, and we get about an hour east. We've got about another hour to go before we hit Albuquerque, and the car breaks down. And when I say it breaks down, I mean it ain't going anywhere. So we call uh, Totra, or we call AAA, and they said, well, it's going to be about four hours till we can get to you. You're an hour away in Albuquerque. Yeah, I know, but we've got to call the tow truck company. We've got to get them out there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a minute. So we said, okay, well, is there anybody nearby that's not a AAA dealer but can contract with you that y'all can 
reimburse? And they said, yeah, actually, you're only about five minutes away from a little hundred-person town. They have one tow truck company there that we contract with. We can reach out to them and see if we can get somebody out to you. Sure enough, about 20, 30 minutes later, tow truck company gets out there, tows us to their shop, tells us exactly what's wrong and that they can't do anything about it. The fuel pump on Lacey and Zach's car had apparently been under recall, and they did not know it, and it, it, it went out. So they said, well, we can't fix it because it's under recall, so you have to take it to the Ford house. The nearest Ford house is in Albuquerque. We can tow you to the Ford house in Albuquerque. AAA has given us 200 miles so we can tow you, so we can get you there. Okay, cool. So three of us, we unload our luggage, we throw it into the back of this tow truck, and we are stuffed, cramped, and driving on to Albuquerque. And we get to Albuquerque, and we get there about noon, one o'clock, because we left earlier in the morning. And the Ford house says, well, we got to order the part. It's going to be about two, three days before we can get you back on the road. The wedding is the next day. And we said, well, that just ain't going to work. So we figured out, and they said, well, you can't drive. Like, your car is done. We've got to get the part. So what we do is we do some brainstorming sessions. We get a motel for the night, and we say, okay, let's figure out what to do. We get 3.30 a.m. bus tickets on the Greyhound to get us to Flagstaff, Arizona, Where's the nearest place we can rent a car? So over 2020, so many car rental shops had to decrease their fleets in order to not go bankrupt. And so the nearest rent-a-car location that had a car available was in Flagstaff, Arizona. So we get 3.30 a.m. bus tickets. We, hit the be- we go to bed about 9.30, 10 o'clock. We get up at 2, 2.30. We, we walk we hike over to the Greyhound bus station, which is about a 45-minute walk because there were zero Ubers that were available at 3.30 in the morning. So you got the three of us, two suitcases in each hand, walking down these side streets to this bus station. We had to look absolutely ridiculous. And we get to the bus station. The bus pulls up, and all of a sudden, we hear this loud pop. Now, I'm in Albuquerque, Okay. It's a beautiful city. It also has kind of a high crime rate. So when we hear this loud pop sitting in this bus station, my first mind goes to, oh no, we're getting shot. This, this ain't going to be good. Well, no, it wasn't that we got shot. It's that the bus that pulled up was our bus to get us to Flagstaff. Its front driver's side tire blew up. Three hours later, they have a new tire on the bus, and we are loaded, seated, and we're hitting the interstate, headed back out to Arizona. And I'm sitting, so Lacey and Zach are sitting in in two seats next to each other, and I've got this row right in front of them to myself. Across the aisles, this young guy, probably 21, 22 years old. And the first couple hours were all just quiet, you know, everybody's tired, it's early in the morning, we all had to get up to get to a bus that was supposed to leave at 3.30 that didn't end up leaving until 6.30. We're heading down. We make our first pit stop about 
9, 9.30 at this random gas station for a bathroom break. And as we get back on the bus, he starts talking to me. He says, who are you? Where are you from? You know, normal small talk. And I tell him that, you know, I'm from Oklahoma. My name's Corey. I'm headed out to California for a friend's wedding. And he says, ah, where? I say, Los Angeles. And he goes, hey, I'm headed to Los Angeles. And I said, oh, cool. What for? He goes, well, I just got out of rehab last week. I have been addicted to meth since I was 14. And I'm going to see my five-year-old son for the first time. I'm going to his birthday. My ex-wife now is letting me be a part of his life that I've completed rehab. And I'm getting my life back in order. Now, at the moment, I didn't know how to react. I, Wow, that's fantastic. And so we continue conversing for a couple hours, just small talk, talking football, and realize that, and please don't run me out of the church quite yet. He found out that I was a Longhorn fan, and uh, he was a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. And so we had some healthy back and forth. If he said he was a Sooners fan, I don't know how I would have continued that conversation. But we did, and we finally get to to Flagstaff, and we get up to the car rental place. Now, we tried tried finding an Uber to get up there. Uber was going to be $35. And we said, we just spent an extra $115 that we weren't intending on spending. New. It's only three miles up the road. We will hike it. Again, both suitcases and hands, the three of us marching down the side of this road. Uh, Flagstaff doesn't have great sidewalks along their busy roads, as you might expect, and so we're, we're curbing it. I mean, we're a single-file line like a row of ants marching up the curb on the side of this very busy road, three miles till we get up to the, the Hertz rental car location. And we get there, and the car is supposed to be ready for us. I'm supposed to be able to just swipe my credit card, sign the paper, and we're supposed to hit the road. They said, well, your rental car was supposed to be here about four hours ago, and it ain't here yet. We don't know where it is. And we say, okay, great. Well, what's the plan if not? Well, that's our only available rental car for the day. Everyone else has already checked out, so we don't know what to tell you. Go grab some lunch, and maybe it'll be here when you're done. Now, I like to think I've got some patience, okay? But after a car breaking down, having to get on a Greyhound bus, which was not great, waiting three hours to get on the Greyhound bus, having this long trek that I wasn't intending to have, spending an extra $105 on that, having to spend an extra, like, $380 on this rental car, I just wasn't having it. I was not in a good mood. So I stormed out of there, and I kind of slammed the door behind me as I left the Hertz dealership, and we go down to Texas Roadhouse because I needed those endless rolls. And we eat lunch. And we're, about four, we're there about 45 minutes, and we get that Saving Grace phone call saying, hey, your car is here. Give us 30 minutes. We're going to get it cleaned up. We're going to get it refilled for you, and we'll, we'll, you'll be ready to hit the road. And so we say, okay. So we hurry up, finish, dinner, or finish lunch. We get our suitcases again, and we're walking back up that road to Hertz, we get there, and this absolutely stunning convertible pulls in. 
And I'm thinking, ooh, okay, I can deal with this. I, 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 that was worth the wait. That might, this, this trip just might be worth it after all, if I get to drive a convertible. Yeah, it wasn't mine. No, it wasn't mine. But the elderly couple that stepped out of the convertible um, saw us three with luggage, and they said, you stranded? And we said, well, kind of. We're waiting on our car, but this, it's been a trip. We didn't give them the whole story, but we just told them it was a trip, and we started having small talk. found out they were from Oklahoma, and that they were traveling out to L.A. for a, for a family get-together, just a small outdoors family hunting trip that this, this crew always took. We thought, hey, this is really cool. We're, we are putting some dots together here. This has really been really interesting how this trip is coming together. And so we get our little Prius, was the car I actually signed up for. Why I got my hopes up for a, you know, up that big of an upgrade, I'm not sure, but, you know, we can dream, right? So we get in our Prius, and we're hitting the road, and we get down. And then all of a sudden, about 30 minutes down the road, the check engine light pops on. Now, the car isn't making any weird noises. It isn't driving bad. Just check engine lights. So I get off in the next desk. I turn around. I take it back to the Hertz store. And at this point, I'm angry. I'm furious. I'm red-faced. It's none of their fault. But I'm red-faced angry. I march in there, and I said, look, I've had a day. You said this car would be ready. The check engine light's on. Fix it. Now. And they say, okay, well, let's, let's go check it. Let's go fix it. Turns out it wasn't the check engine light. This model of Prius had a maintenance light. And it was a reminder of when the oil needed to be changed. 30 minutes later, they changed the oil and we hit back the road. And it goes smoothly all the way to California. I mean, we don't hit another road bump until we get to L.A. We figured that we get to L.A., we will book a hotel room when we get there. Because we don't know what time we're going to get there. We don't know... We've never seen this part, this suburb before, so we don't know what to look for. So we figure we'd drive through town and find us a hotel. And so we pull up to this first motel, and we, it's 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. We're just tired. We want to bed. We just want to go to sleep. So we get in. We go in and get the room. And as soon as we open the door, we immediately turn around and leave. This was the textbook definition of Roach Motel. You open Webster's Dictionary, you look for Roach Motel, it is a picture of this one. Um, there were literal roaches in the room, there was dust, there was this weird white powdery substance in the bathroom that I'm not even going to begin to contemplate what that was. We immediately turn around and say, we want our money back, we're going to leave. They say, well, we can't give you your money back. We have a no refunds policy at this motel. So that was 115 more dollars down the drain. So we find this red roof inn, and it was like the Taj Mahal compared to this Roach Motel we were at. And if any of you have ever driven past or stayed at a red roof motel, they're not bad, but they're certainly not great. So we crash there, and we get up the next morning, we get dressed, and we head off to the wedding. And everything else goes smoothly. Wedding's a hit. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's wonderful being being able to see these two friends get married. and We're leaving and at, the, at the reception after the wedding. Of course, it's young people, so there's a bunch of dancing and partying and all of that. Towards the end of the night, it's probably about midnight, I'm sitting down with the groom, 
he and I have been very good friends for four or five years at this point. We're talking about this trip. And he said, Corey, are you, are you glad you took the trip? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And he said, why? And I said, because I get to be here with you. I get to celebrate you and your wife getting married. And he said, that's the only reason you're glad you took the trip. And I said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I don't see anything else to be glad about. And he said, well, then I don't think you're looking hard enough. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, Corey, you work for the church. I like to think you're a man of God. You said you, wanted to, you feel called to be ordained as a pastor one day. And I said, yeah. And he goes, did you see God anywhere on that trip? And I said, if he was, he was awfully quiet sitting in the background. And he goes, I don't think he was. I think he was right front and center. And through this conversation, he, he ended up telling me a quote. Well, he told me something that I attribute to him as a quote. At the end of the story about hearing me rant, he, he said, Corey, it's not about where you're going or how long it takes you to get there. The point of every trip and the point of your life is to live those moments, both the good and the bad, because you never get them back. See, up to that point, I was still very, I mean, I still am very young in my ministry. I've only been doing this about eight years now. At that point, I'd only been doing it four to five years, and um, I had really only focused on God in those good moments. Even throughout 2020, as heart-wrenching and as stress-inducing as that year was, I tried to really focus only on God in those good moments. Whenever those bad things had happened, those stressful moments had come, I kind of just forgot to focus on God and continued to hyperfixate on the bad thing. When he told me that, it lit a light bulb. And it gave me an entirely different perspective on faith, on God, and on how to live my life. And that life lesson had kind of taken a back seat this last year just because I have been so busy that I have at times forgotten to take care of myself until I am told, Corey, take care of yourself. About a month ago, my grandma got sick. Um, turns out it was a blood infection, but that blood infection got her to a psychologist where she was able to do some psychological testing. We found out about two weeks ago that she has been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia um, in an advanced stage of Lewy body dementia. I got, as soon as I heard that very next day, I drove down and I spent a few hours with my grandparents and we, I just sat there and listened. I talk a lot. I get that from my mom, and she gets that from her parents. They talk a lot. And so I just sat there for three hours and just listened to them. And finally, as we get closer to the end of the conversation, the sun's starting to set, and they're, I can tell they're trying to, wanting me to hit the road so I don't drive home in the dark. I ask my grandmother, my nanny, Nanny, you and Papa are two of the strongest faith-filled people I've ever met. And throughout this whole conversation, you were just thanking God for giving you this blessing and this blessing and this blessing. 
how are you still able to praise God after receiving this absolutely heart-wrenching, tragic diagnosis? And she said, because God has brought me to this point. God gave me children to raise and to love. God gave me grandchildren to, to, to nurture and to love and to um, spoil. God has given me blessings on blessings on blessings, and this doesn't end that. God may not heal my body at this point, but that's okay, because he's already healed my soul a long time ago. Finally, these two life experiences of mine came together in this culmination of understanding that praising God doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning or when we're happy or when we say, yeah, this was a great, amazing miracle. Praising God also happens when we're faced with the life tragic diagnosis, when we're faced with the trip from absolute heck that I Ooh, I still rant about that one. Because even in those bad points, there are blessings and God's glory that shines through it. On that trip from heck, I had an amazing conversation with a man who is conquering addiction, getting to be a part of his son's life for the first time. This conversation with my grandmother, I got to hear a life story that I've only ever had glimpses of. I got to hear how she brought my papa's second wife, who he divorced, to Jesus Christ. My papa, my, my nanny, my grandmother, is his third wife. His first wife took her own life, committed suicide about a year after they got married, postpartum depression, and it happened. And his second wife was a chronic alcoholic. And one day, my papa got home and saw that she had locked the kids in the closet so that she could have something to drink. And he said, that's enough, I'm leaving. And it left her. And then about five years after that, met my grandmother. And they have been married for 53 years now. It was about year 15, year 20, where the second wife one day just showed up. And my grandmother and her had a conversation on the front porch. And for every day, for six months... They talked on the phone. My grandmother still says, I wasn't friends with her. Don't get me wrong. I still didn't like her. But God told me to love her. And so I prayed with her and I talked with her every day. Because she was dying of lung cancer, she wanted to talk to me about Jesus and how I could still love and how I could take care of kids that she didn't, that she didn't bear. I got to hear these stories that I'd never heard before. These moments of God's glory shining out. And because my grandmother can still praise God through that, because I can still remember this story of a young man who conquered addiction through this couple who'd been married a long time, going to visit family on vacation, because I got to see two young people madly in love with each other get married. Those moments of glory shining out through pain, through struggle, through Anger. Psalm 103 has become one of my favorite scriptures. Praising God through good and through bad. Praising God because I know that his glory, that his miracles, that his work is always going to come through even when I do not expect it, even when I may not want it, even when I'm not looking for it.
And so I, I try to end this sermon with a challenge to everything. My challenge in this sermon is this. Through your daily life, no matter if it's a good day or a really bad day, I want you to look, to actually look, to actually listen, to hear where God's glory is coming through, where that momentary miracle, where that veil between us and God becomes just that little bit thinner. And praise God for that moment. And all of God's people said, Amen.